So this is the gospel that from the very beginning of time, from all of eternity, uh, God was a God of love. And out of love for us, he, he created us. And He created us to have a relationship with Him. But each one of us chose to uh, do our own thing. <laughs> and what that looked like in my life might look different the way it looked in your life, but all of us chose uh, to be in control of our life. And so our relationship with God was broken. Uh, but God didn't leave us there. Out of love for us, uh, 2,000 years ago, God's not just ultimate solution, but only solution was that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, who came, who didn't just live a perfect life and didn't just teach us about God, but ultimately made the sacrifice to pay for my sin and your sin to remedy our brokenness. And God said there's only one way, there's only one way for you to be restored back into a right relationship with me. And that is if you will surrender your life and give up your pursuit of your own self-righteousness or fixing your own life and to surrender your life before holy God and to come to him through his son Jesus Christ and through belief my placing my faith in Jesus Christ my, that God he remedies my brokenness in our relationship with him and because of what Jesus has done never what we have done that we are restored back into a right relationship with God for all of eternity all of our sin is taken out of the way by the sacrifice of the cross uh, that's the gospel uh, Christianity is not ultimately about morality me living a good life so that I can get to go to heaven someday we blew that years ago it's not gonna work we can't do it uh, but God made a way through Jesus Christ and then then God wants to use me to uh, be about his mission of rescuing as many people as possible until uh, he comes again. And so uh, this summer, uh, as followers of Jesus, we have asked that God's light of his scripture would be shed on our life so that our lives might be uh, a proper reflection of his holiness in his life and so um, my sense as a pastor is that many times those forces as we talked about last week uh, lead us astray from God's path that uh, many times we get led astray, whether that's uh, on, by social forces, whether that's by mental forces, the way we think, or emotional forces, what we feel. 
in our heart. And so this summer, the simple challenge is let's live in the light. Let's stay grounded in the Word in this season uh, of summer where there's a lot going on and we go on vacations and we go on trips and we're gone and all of this. But my heart as a pastor is I wanted to set before you a challenge this summer that we stay grounded in God's Word so that we don't go astray, that we walk God's path so that our lives um, are a proper, worthy uh, reflection of the gospel that has been uh, given to us. Um, I want to talk this morning about the realm of sexuality and how the scriptures... Uh, shed light on the realm of sexuality. And there's, there's one scripture that I want to read this morning, and it's in Proverbs chapter 7. And it is one of the lengthier scriptures that relate to sexuality. And um, it's also one of the most vivid scriptures and so in Proverbs 7 it says and this is Solomon writing to his son my son keep my words and treasure my commandment my commands within you keep my commands and live and my law as the apple of your eye Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart, say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice, and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with an impotent face. She said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, alloys, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. 
Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Verses 1 through 5, the Father speaks to the Son. And if we just look at those words, he says in verse 1, he says, My, my Son, keep my words. Now, that's significant to me because verses 1 through 5 is bracketed by this word, words. The Father says, keep my words. If you will notice at the end, at least, and this is in my New King James Version, the last phrase in verse 5, it says, from the seductress who flatters with her words. And so from verses 1 through 5, you see this contrast between the Father's words and the seductress words. There is a contrast. In fact, it is, it is a choice that is posed to the Son. Who will you listen to? And the Father has words that he wants to share. And so he, he has several things that he says in verses 1 and following. My son, keep my words. And so he says words. And then he says, treasure my commands within you. And so there are some things that the Father was going to say. This is, these are things that I'm going to tell you to do. Uh, he uses that word commands again in verse 2, keep my commands. At the end of that, he says, and live, because you're going to see uh, at the end that he talks about the other way leads to death. Um, it's significant to me that in verse 3, he says, bind them on your fingers. And this is something I want to I kind of just spend just a moment with. Um, I, I don't know exactly what uh, Solomon meant when he said, bind them on your fingers. But when I thought of that, I thought of my wedding ring, which is a testimony of 37 years ago this week on Wednesday, the 28th, uh, that I made a commitment to Amy. Uh, this ring is not only a symbol of that, but it is a reminder of that. Now, for me, that's significant because there were words that we spoke that day, words of commitment. And it really gets at the heart of what I believe we need to take uh, from the Scripture this morning in, in that this ring reminds me that my marriage vows were a commitment that I made in my heart, but I made them in the midst of, in, in a part of my heart that was my will. Now, I'm not saying. I mean, if you've ever seen pictures of Amy on her wedding day, I'm not saying there weren't emotions that day. There were a lot of emotions, and I'm embarrassing my kids right now. My daughter's up in the balcony going, Dad, stop it now. 
I'm not saying in my heart there were not emotions, but more importantly that day, there was, there was a commitment I made of the will that said that is a commitment I will make. That's significant because if you've been married for more than a day, <laughs> you know <laughs> the emotions can change rather abru abruptly. And it will come down to commitment that you've made in the will. And this is very significant in what we talk about in Proverbs 7 because there are words of the Father and there will be times that in your will you will have to choose will I choose to do what the Father says what his commandments are or what will I do what my emotions lead me to do and I think that is set up and um, I thought of that when I thought of his statement bind them on your fingers you see we must make a decision in our wills to live our lives according to God's truth we will either in life choose out of our emotions or we will choose out of truth now the first statement I made two months ago when I started this sermon series uh, is based upon this and I made the statement that God sets the standards um, it was in that first sermon I don't have to bring the context to it but it was a very significant statement to make at the very beginning as we talk about living in the light that God sets the standards all of our lives the holiness that God expects of us is based upon what he says is holy and emanates from his character and when we come to the realm of sexuality and this is my truth for the day is that God's path is clearly marked in Scripture God's in the realm of sexuality and sure others but today we're just talking about the realm of sexuality is that God's path is clearly marked in the scripture it's not really a question when you read the Bible what would God want from my life what is it that is a reflection of his holiness and his character it's not really up for debate because the scripture is very clear and it's clear from the very beginning this is quite amazing to me that um, the scripture is very clear from the very beginning that it is God who sets gender identity it is God who sets the definition of marriage and it is God who sets the parameters uh, for sexual activity sexuality from the very beginning, God sets gender identity, the definition of marriage, and the parameters of sexuality. And you see it from the very beginning that he sets first gender identity because it's, the scripture is very explicit. Um, Genesis 1.27 
It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then this statement, male and female, he created them. And quite honestly, if I'm writing the story, I'm thinking, well, I don't know, maybe that would have been a detail that I would have passed over. But in Genesis 1.27, it says, not only did God make mankind, but he made them male and female. God sets gender identity from the very beginning. But also, as we read that story, we go to, to chapter 2, and we see from the very beginning that God sets the definition of marriage. So in Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. I don't know if you've seen this, or, but read that. Think, I know we've read that scripture all of our lives, and I read it at every wedding. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. When God looks at the loneliness of mankind, and ladies, let's just be honest, it's a pitiful sight. It's a pitiful sight. God, listen to me, God's provision for man's loneliness is woman. So we see, that's Genesis chapter 2. That's real early in the Bible. I mean, that's... that's it's not Genesis 1, it's Genesis 2. God's provision for man's loneliness, being alone, is woman. And from that day, God sets the definition of marriage as a union between a man and a woman. Does God have the right to do that? Oh, you better believe it. Because Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God... God is at the very beginning. God is the creator. And as holy, omnipotent God, from the very beginning, he sets not only gender identity, but the definition of marriage. From Genesis 2, onward, forward in the Bible, we see that God clearly sets the parameters of sexuality. Understand from the very beginning of time that sexual desire was a God-given desire. It is a part of what it means to be human. Put that thought in your mind. God places that sexual desire in us as human beings, but He also sets the parameters of sexuality, of sexual activity. And there's a lot of ways that we can go outside the parameters of God. But there are certain biblical words, just if we talk about some big things. One word would be fornication. Fornication is when a person has sexual relationships, activity with someone they are not married to. Fornication. God says it's wrong. It's not according to His holiness not according to his plan. The other kind of big word would be the word adultery. This is when someone has, who is married has sexual relationships, activity with someone they are not married to. 
Remember the definition of marriage from the very beginning was the relationship between a man and a woman for a lifetime. And so many other scriptures and ways that we can violate the standards of God but understand that God sets the gender, He sets gender identity, He sets the definition of marriage, and He sets the parameters of sexuality uh, in the human existence. If we go back to the very beginning, uh, at the end of chapter 2 of Genesis, everything is perfect. Mankind is in relationship, a perfect relationship with God. Adam and Eve are in a perfect relationship. At the end of Genesis chapter 2, everything is perfect. Genesis 3, verse 1. There is an evil force that enters into that perfect existence, and that was Satan. And Satan tempts the woman and in turn the man. And when Satan gets involved and man and woman choose to do their own thing, then everything goes wrong. Get this stark picture because it sets up everything we're going to see uh, in Proverbs chapter 7. At the end of chapter 2, everything is perfect. By the end of Genesis 3, everything is broken. Why? Because mankind chose what looked good with their eyes and what felt right in their hearts. And Satan brings down God's perfect creation and we see from the very beginning that Satan distort, I'm sorry, distorts, deceives, and destroys. Satan distorts, deceives, and destroys. He always distorts, deceives and destroys. With that understanding, in Proverbs 7, verse 6, the father, Solomon, in talking to his son, says, for, I, for at the window of my house I looked through my lattice. And I want you to get this, this visual. And I... For some reason in my mind, I think he's, the father is on a second story. I don't know if this is a real experience or Solomon is just writing this. But the lattice would have been that covering of his window. They could not see him, but he could see them. And he is looking down on the street as what is about to transpire. I would contend that the father's perspective, I think from a second story window, looking down on the scene that's about to happen on that street, is the perspective of wisdom. 
I would say the perspective of the young man who's walking the street, he sees the circumstances differently. The father, at his age and his perspective, sees it. And in fact, the reason that Solomon writes this in Proverbs 7 is for us today to see the perspective from the lattice. If you're in the midst of it, trying to decide what is right to do, if you're at street level, you're probably going to take a turn that goes down her path. But the scripture is written that we might have a perspective to say, wait a second, I know how this scene plays out because it was explicitly spoken to me by my father and recorded in the scripture. The perspective from the lattice is the perspective of wisdom. And he says, I saw among the simple... Uh, uh, the word simple is not a, uh, is not a, uh, uh, hmm, a flattering term. Uh, one who lacks life experience, wisdom. I saw among the simple, I perceive among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding. So the father's watching from his perspective and he's seen this scene play out and there is a young man who is young. I would say this morning that uh, because sexuality so many times is connected to the emotions of our heart that the young are particularly susceptible to sexual temptation and that's what he is saying here and it says in verse 8 the young man passing along the street near her corner he's not walking on her street he's walking by the turn the corner of her street and he makes a decision in verse 8 the second half, and he took the path to her house. Notice the time. Verse 9, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black, and dark night. Uh, we can simply say, from a father's perspective, the young man was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I'm sure my mama and my daddy said to me, <laughs> if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people, something wrong is going to happen. Parents, if you haven't used that line with your children, you can use it. Quote me on that one. If you're at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people, you can just count on it. The wrong thing is going to happen. And so it was uh, for the young man. Verses 10 through 20. In the wisdom literature of Proverbs, sexual temptation is personified in a woman. Six through nine is the young man, not in the right place, not at the right time. In fact, quite honestly, probably he's looking for something wrong. As we read through verses 10 through 20, 
and we see the personification of sexual temptation, I want you to see that she, the personification of sexual temptation, appeals to all five of his senses. Five senses. We talk about this in science. What is it? Touch, hearing, sight, smell, taste. When you read verses 10 through 20, she makes an appeal to using all five of those senses. I don't necessarily have to go through them. Um, here, here's my point. Is that our senses are a doorway to our emotions, our feelings that are in our heart. That's not necessarily a bad thing because that's the way God made us. Here's the problem. When you get to our emotions and our feelings and our heart, our sin, because of the choices in our life, our hearts have been tainted by a sin nature. Understand this. Because of our choice, our hearts are tainted by a sin nature so that when Satan comes with temptation through our five senses and comes to our heart, our hearts are not where they need to be. Now within our heart, I don't know, this is the way I see it, or at least that's the way I'm, this is the way I'm presented this morning in the sermon. There, there are, inside of our heart, our soul, whatever you want to call it, there are emotions and there are feelings, but there is also the will, we talked about that last week, which is our want to where we make choices. And Satan will use those five senses, sexual temptation specifically this morning, to get to those emotions so that we make a decision out of what we feel instead of what we in our will would choose would be the right thing to do. And we've read this. Uh, verses 10 through 20 of the seduction of this personification of sexual temptation. You see, Satan will exploit our hearts that are tainted by a sin nature through our five senses to get us to make a decision not out of our will what, what we know is right and true and is God's path but to make a decision out of our emotions and feelings that are tainted by sin and we see it in the seduction of this young man. <laughs> this looks different on the street as it looks from the lattice. The young man who is simple, who is young and devoid of understanding, he buys everything she's selling. I didn't really mean that to be a pun or, or anything, an allusion to anything, but probably so. 
only a simpleton would believe the words that she speaks to him that day that I came out looking for you. Come on, dude. She's feeding you a line. And the father can see it from the lattice. But the young man's heart, who is tainted by sin, is led astray by all of her lines and all of her appeals to all five of his senses. Verse 21 and following to conclude. This is what the father concludes. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to its snare. He did not know it would cost his life. And the father sums it, sums it up in these last four verses. And he says, now therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. And here it is in verse 25. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. I want to make this statement. Hear me. Write it down if you're taking notes, Charity. You cannot trust your emotions. If you make decisions out of your emotions more times than not, it will lead you astray. We do not make decisions and choices out of our emotions. We make our choices based on what we know is true. And in the realm of sexuality, God's path is clearly marked in the Scripture. But all of us will come to times in our life in which we will have the choice of making a decision out of our emotions or out of our will. The Father shares His words so that the young men and the young women the old men and the old women will not turn their heart aside and will not stray into those paths. It says in verse 26, For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. And here's the end of the matter. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. That's what the Father said. That's what, that's what God records in His Word. In a very lengthy passage in Proverbs 7, for our instruction, that the Scripture might shed light on our lives. Here's what's going to happen in your life. You're going to come across sexual temptation, and you're going to decide in your mind that you know better than God, and you're going to say, oh, this doesn't lead to death. And I'm going to say to you, you've put yourself in a scary place. 
to say, I know better than God, and I can trust my feelings more than I can trust what God's Word says very clearly in the Scripture. There's only one person that leads us off the path, and that is Satan. Uh, the verse of Scripture that is quoted every Friday night in most excellent way and was quoted last Friday night, John 10.10, 10, for the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came, this is a quote of Jesus, I came that you might have life and have life more abundantly. Satan only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He never comes for your good. This personification of sexual temptation in the story did not come for good for that young man. And I don't understand exactly all in the story of what. But she was not there for his best interest. She had ulterior personal motives. But Satan will lure us down a path. God's word is very clear. It will always lead to destruction. And for you as Christians, for me as a Christian, the reason it is recorded in Scripture is that we would learn in the realm of sexuality, as in many other areas in life, we are not to choose out of our emotion what feels good what we want, we must choose out of our will according to what God's clearly defined path as revealed in the Scripture is. Amen? Amen. Um, why don't you stand and I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I, know, I know Byron's going to come and give some announcements at the end. Father, today I would pray that you would give us the perspective of wisdom from the lattice and not from the street. And Father, I pray as the Scripture has shed light on uh, this area, the realm of sexuality, that Father, we would see the deception and the distortion and the destruction of Satan. Father, we wouldn't just see it in other people's life, but we would see it in our own lives. And Father, I pray that you would give us strength to walk that path. I pray for your grace and your forgiveness in times when we've strayed off that path, Father. And we thank you for the blood of Jesus that forgives us. I thank you for the power of the Spirit that empowers us to walk in a way that is pleasing.
and as a reflection of your character and holiness, Father. And so we pray for forgiveness. We pray for restoration today. Uh, We pray for power to walk that path. And Father, we trust that to you and we pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,